What's going on, people? Welcome back to the Uncensored Critic Podcast. They've been away for a while, but we are back with a very special episode with another GSA counterpart, and that is, of course, Mr. Matthew Colton, uh, who's been teaching myself and my group all about the work of Jack Lecoq. Now, if any of you have listened to any previous episodes of mine, we had another GSA person on there called Sabs, and Sabs talked about her own personal experience with working with Jack Lecoq in Paris back in the day. And it's really interesting to hear what Matt's got to say about uh, his side of Lecoq's training and what more we can uncover about his work. So let's take a moment to introduce Matt. Matthew, Matt, or uh, <laughs> So Matt, despite sounding like Michael Sheen and coming from Cardiff, he's actually comes from Yorkshire. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember on the first day I asked you, are you from Cardiff, Matt? And he went, no, I'm actually from Yorkshire. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like... That's insane. So, so heading from Yorkshire, uh, Matthew graduated from Central's Complicite Associated uh, Bachelor of Honours Acting Collaborative and Device Theatre course in 2014. His work as an actor includes credits with Theatre by the Lake, the Chester Storyhouse, and a number one tour with Leicester Curve and Rose Theatre Kingston and BBC TV and radio. As a physical theatre specialist, Matthew has performed in The Magic Flute alongside Simon McBurney with Complicite. The Winter's Tale with Rory Kinnear and the English National Opera, and as choreographer and movement double for Timothy Spall in Stanley, A Man of Variety with Stephen Cookson. As a puppeteer, his work includes lyric and work of the Lyric Hammersmith, Pins and Needles, several tours with Slot Machine Theatre, and R&D with Blind Summit. He has also worked as a movement director on numerous shows, including three off West End 2020 award-nominated productions, he is associate artist for So Goes It Theatre, a new diorama emerging company in 2020, movement director for Pendy Shakespeare Festival, and regularly teaches Lecoq technique at the Actors' Centre as well as GSA. Alongside Lynn Johansson, he is co-founder of Artistic Rebellion, an interdisciplinary UK-Swedish device theatre company. Their work has featured at Fertility Fest 2019 at the Barbican and at the Varberg Festival in Sweden. So, yes, that's a very movementy CV you've got there. <laughs> There's a, I could probably cut it down a little bit hearing it. Uh. <laughs> yeah. No, keep keep it long, man. And it's a good. Yeah, you must be must be proud of what you've achieved so far. That's quite impressive. Yeah, it's been. I've been quite fortunate, and um, I, I carved out a niche, I guess, in the in the movement uh, aspect of things, and that's sort of gone well <laughs> <laughs> that's very well yeah what was it like studying um at central on that particular course the collaborative and device movement what was your experience with that i loved it it's quite a recent course it we were the seventh year doing it i think um yeah it was the seventh year and i really enjoyed it because the course doesn't give you one way of doing things or one practice or it gives you a whole exposure to a whole range of different techniques and processes mm. and Zach Lecoq's very much the kind of cornerstone of that and most of the teaching staff were uh, ex-Lecoq graduates themselves mm. um, and of course it has that association with Complicite who are themselves uh, Lecoq uh, uh, formed company so that very much is at the center of the work but it covers Stanislavski, a bit of biomechanics and Mayerhold, Suzuki, everything that you'd expect to cover and lots of extra things as well. So it gives you a, a wide palette, I would say, as a performer. Wide palette, that's good. Uh, I, did, I just got a few questions about, actually, before we jump into the cock himself, 
uh, about, you know, I said on here with Sabs actually before, before we started everything, I just got an image of her of just at a busy tube station or at London Bridge station. <laughs> and I just imagined her looking at all the different ways the commuters would just be moving, even if it's like subtle movements. So I don't forgive me, but with yourself, I see you, I see you especially just walking through Regent's Park on a busy Saturday afternoon. And you're looking at all the different different aspects of human life. You've like you've got families, you've got friends, you've got people throwing frisbees or people chasing after a dog or something like that. And you're going, that's really interesting. How can we incorporate that specific movement into into something that's very complicit or something like that? I mean, is that I mean, am I talking complete nonsense there, or is that something that you actively like to get involved in, like observing things? Oh, very much. I mean, it's been known to happen that I have consciously gone to various parks. I think, including Regent's Park, um, <laughs> to to do such observations. And I also think it's part of the. I don't know, maybe this is a bit too general to say, but part of the kind of actor's curiosity about mm. the human condition or about life in general, we're always sort of, but both externally and internally, like, oh, what happened for me at that moment in time? Um, I remember reading, there's a brilliant Japanese actor, Yoshi Oida, who has a really interesting career path. He, he trained in very traditional Japanese forms of theater and puppetry, and then spent most of his career working with Peter Brook. Mm. Um, in, in the West, in France and the UK and, and various international tours and so on. And so his journey has been really fascinating. And, and uh, there's a million and one anecdotes in his various books. And one of them is he, he had a, a moment of heartbreak, I think it was, or something that left him in, in deep distress and sort of crying his eyes out. And he caught sight of himself in the mirror and went, ah, so that's what that's like. <laughs> um, I think that's just part of the kind of actor's way of being is noting that externally and internally yeah that's fascinating so um i'm just going you, you mentioned there when you were at central you'd actually encountered some people who actually come from the lecoq uh, school in, in paris so did you know if they actually like, if if they worked with the man himself uh, what did they say about it did, did any of them actually work with with, with yes. the man? most of them did our course leader catherine alexander um, uh, one of our other primary Lecoq teachers, Ali Colonia, uh, both trained with the man himself. Um, and we had a couple of other Lecoq graduates, but I can't remember where they would stand on the timeline, whether uh, they had Jacques himself. And we also had John Wright as our clown teacher, who's mm. very much comes from the same tradition. Um, yes, in terms of what they would say about the man himself, uh, very good question. No. <laughs> um, uh, it was it would be quite a common theme, I think. I think uh, um, it'd be very, uh, very hard to please Taskmaster, from what I could tell. Not Taskmaster is maybe the wrong word, but like it certainly wouldn't give way to praise very easily. Um, it would take quite a lot to for him not to go, oh, that didn't work, or uh, that's my second-hand impression in, in, in any case. Mm. Um, maybe not to the extreme that you kind of hear about with uh, Gaulier's uh, uh, um, sort of clown school where he is not, 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 not to everything, but uh, um, <laughs> certainly, uh, uh, yeah, it's hard, hard to please, um, but also very open, I think, you know, that, he didn't impose a way of doing things. Mm. It was more, here's a range of tools to explore to see what 
happens and for you to kind of take ownership of that mm. ultimately as, a, as an artist mm. in your own right. Mm. Well, that's, yeah, that's interesting because I remember Sam, who actually worked with, with the man himself, you know, said, she said something very similar. She said he was very, very hard to please. And I think towards the end of the episode, I asked her, was there ever a moment where he actually sat down and just said, okay, you guys did well there? Like at least some sort of credit. And I think I need to listen to it back, but I think she just went, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> she might, <clears throat> I think, I think she said that he might have gone, okay, that was better than before, but no, but this isn't, no, 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 this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right, but, <laughs> which, which I suppose, I don't, I don't know if that's, that is a good thing, I think, if you do get some sort of praise from him, that means that you've actually done something pretty damn well, and, yeah. and you know, that's great, but, uh, right, so let's, let's jump into uh, Lecoq himself, let's get down to the nitty-gritty of it, so I suppose, first of all, for yourself, uh, what made you, what was the, your, light bulb mobile what made you want to work uh, specifically with movement and work with the with Lecoq's work I think the very first moment I was sort of opened up to physical theatre and visual theatre was watching Slava's snow show when I was a teenager <laughs> I remember that I remember that yeah I just thought it was utterly magical. I went on a school trip and I was just like completely agog with joy <laughs> um, <laughs> and surprise. And that definitely set me on the path of being interested. I also did a little bit of mime studying when, again, extracurricularly uh, at sort of outside of school when I was quite young. Um, uh, and then I did National Youth Theatre course um, and my course was with a practitioner called Neil Callahan, uh, who works a lot in very sort of physical and imaginative approach. Not necessarily, uh, he wasn't a Lecoq graduate himself. I think he was from uh, what was Dartington College, uh, which is quite Michael Chekhov influenced from what I understand of its history. But his working uh, kind of practice was very collaborative and ensemble and physical based. Mm. He did a lot of Lecoq and Lecoq-like work um, over those two weeks. And I absolutely loved it. Um, and then looking around at drama schools, I saw the collaborative and device theatre course at Central and I went, oh, that sounds like it got, it's got all the things I want. <laughs> um, and did the rounds for a few years and got various free calls, but didn't get in. And then finally got in on my third, third year of, of attempt to the course that I initially wanted, which was very fortunate. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it was definitely the right course for me because I can get very stuck. And I think this is another reason why I'm drawn to physical work. I can get very stuck in my head. I fall into kind of an intellectual analysis of things very quickly mm. um, and uh, sort of end up being a bit disconnected from my body or from the actual kind of presence of, uh, of the now. Uh, and so working in a, an explicitly physical uh, or, or psychophysical and, and body-led process mm was a good counterweight to that kind of tendency. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So I've, as somebody who does it, who does enjoy movement, but doesn't, I don't think will, you know, feels more comfortable with text work as opposed to physical stuff, even though I wouldn't say no to it, of course not. But one thing I have experienced is there's a liberation that you find with, with movement, isn't there? It's like, you know, you, have these like if you do Lecoq or you do Laban, you know, there's there's like this liberating feeling of 
you can just throw yourself around the room. You can throw yourself in and give yourself, give ideas to the room and it's okay to, to screw up. And, you know, if you throw something in and it completely falls flat on its face, you know, but it's the joy from that as well as, and I think it's essential for the for an actor to just get involved in that every now and then just make a, get that energy out of your system and just enjoy failing. I feel that it's okay to fail. Maybe that'd be a fair thing to say, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's an important mindset for any actor. In, in obviously, rehearsal processes in in the UK can be very time constrained, um, and part of that kind of working culture leads us to want to find the answer. And and I think working with text as well, again, it sort of leads us into quite a kind of rationalising or working out the kind of absolute logic and understanding of the scene, which is perfectly valid and has lots of good uh, good stuff to it. But it does, we, we do lose out on other possibilities by doing that um, sometimes, I think. And, and having a more uh, open approach to, I don't know what's going to happen. Let's try something out. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, but what would it be like if we did that and then that? And then it's a sort of, it's a different approach to doing the same thing. Um, but it does give you a wider, yeah, again, a wider palette of what this might mean or what show you're making or... Uh, um, who your character might be um, and those sort of surprises can be a lot more rich uh, sometimes than what we can uh, come up with rationally. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, so in terms of Lecoq himself and your experience of him uh, with his movement and everything, what, what would you say was his objective? Well, what, what, where, where, where do you think he's coming from? What, what's his unique message or unique way of working with movement that sort of put him on the map in a way what do you think is his unique unique what is the uniqueness of him and what is what is he trying to say do you think with movement do you think unique's an interesting word because i think it's similar to the philosophy of of a few other well ultimately i think it's the same as as any kind of practice or resource or or or, or approach or process um which is ultimately trying to give you tools as a performer to be able to live in the present moment and make interesting work um, explores the human condition in some form or other. Um, I think what is, what, what occurs with Lecoq and, and again, some other practices, um, but very much starkly in contrast to more specific process practices, if you like, where you do this, you analyze the text in this way, and then you do make these sort of choices and you answer these questions, uh, which is, again, a very useful and brilliant process mm-hmm. itself. Um, but Lecoq doesn't give you a kind of pedagogical aspect of this is how you will be an actor. It's more, here's, our, our lang- here's a language to explore w- what being human is and some tools that you might choose to use as a maker, but ultimately uh, um, it's your artistic responsibility. I can't remember his exact quote, this will be a very much paraphrase, but um, he would say something along the lines of, I'm not teaching you to be uh, uh, this kind of actor or that kind of actor, I'm teaching you to be artists and to, to make the theatre of tomorrow and not just regurgitate the theatre of today or yesterday or mm. what I've done. Um, which is why I think you have a really huge kind of proliferation of uh, Lecoq-trained graduates in lots of different contexts, whether that's someone like Toby Jones, who works in a very uh, uh, sort of a lot of screen work and 
and does does do some surreal, absurd, and 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 uh, com comedic things, but also very naturalistic things. And then you have companies like Complicity, you make very kind of bold, physical, and devised work, um, and uh, gives you a yeah, it gives you a range of working in different contexts rather than just I will be purely the uh, yeah. naturalistic screen actor. <laughs> naturalistic screen actor. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, what do you think? Um, you know, when it comes, actually, no, we'll, come, we'll come to that question a bit later. Um, when, one of the things that, well, two things actually that you've you've talked us about is um, what the court calls uh, le jeu and the etude. So, uh, le jeu is the the game, right? And and etude. I've forgotten what that stands for exactly. <laughs> really, it's it just means a sketch or an exercise, or mm. it, it kind of derives from music. Like a musical etude would be a piece that's written specifically to practice or focus on a kind of an aspect of technique or practice. Mm. Um, so I kind of slightly prefer that to the word exercise because exercise mm. I feel either gets us in the mind of like we're going to do twenty reps. Um, or we're going to answer question 3C on the maths paper. Um, whereas I feel like, you know, an etude is a, a form that you explore quite openly and you see what happens. Yeah. And uh, Le Jeu, well, how, do, how would you describe Lecoq when it comes to when he wants to play the game of, well, play Le Jeu? <laughs> um, that, that would be the quest that you're always looking for as a, as a performer or as a as a performer finding the game what is it we're playing at this moment in time um i guess there's an aspect of that which is again avoiding a fixated this is the thing that we're absolutely doing it's more instead of saying i'm going to walk three paces towards you at this point in the script it's we're going to play this game of working out what the distance is between us and what happens when i close it off like this and i'm going to play with the rhythm of that of those three steps of so the even if the form is, I'm going to take three steps, I'm finding what is the game in that that I can play. Otherwise, I'm just repeating something that becomes a sort of dead, empty form um, that has no kind of life to it. Uh, whereas finding the game of those three steps brings you life um, because you're a human being actually playing a thing, which is what we do um, all the time. And, uh, and games could be as simple and banal as how am I going to play with the rhythm of each of these steps? Or it could be something like an objective which is itself a game it's just a sort of more uh, uh, psychological and complicated or perhaps sophisticated version of a game um, so yeah the game is what we're always searching for however it might express itself um, mm. yes yes <laughs> interesting um so uh, so what what do you think that um like, well, because we, I remember we had one session one week where we we looked at, I think it was, uh, two people got up and did their Shakespeare scenes uh, for us. And, you know, I'm interested to know, how do you think Lecoq works with text? How can he help people with text in a way, even though he is movement-based? Is there mm. that connection between his work and actually working with a script? Of course, I would say. Um partly because the meaning of the text itself changes depending on the context. And part of that context is the space that's between us, how we're physically in relation to each other, the physical kind of story, for want of a better word, that our bodies are telling, like that informs what the text means or what the story that the audience receives is from what's going on. Um, and partly so many of his tools are brilliantly imaginative ways of getting out of your head and 
and finding again unexpected choices or, or uh, um, uh, more, more interesting choices, then I'm going to do it this way. You know, it, it's uh, uh, what is the you can use elements or, or as, as we started to look at all games like fixed space or relationship in space, push and pull. Um, but all those dynamics of movement are just as important in, in text, both in playing a scene and again, the, the physical aspect of that, which relates to the text, mm. uh, but also text itself and the spoken word is a physical action. So I, I, in some ways, I don't see much of a distinction between them, you know, um, there's obviously very specific and important technique when it comes to voice and vocal practice. Uh, uh, but it is also fundamentally a physical act as well. So uh, mm. all the tools work together. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, and, and another sort of strand of a Cox already very wide web, I suppose, is the uh, uh, the use of mask. And mm. uh, there's two things that there's the mutual mask or the anti-mask. So I think I'm, I'm going to get these confused. I know I am. But uh, and so a neutral mask is when you actually do wear you wear a mask with a certain with one type of emotion on it and then an anti-mask is when you just use your natural expression you don't wear a mask at all is that right or am I getting that completely wrong um, unfortunately there are lots of different definitions of masks from different practices and practitioners and yeah. um, the one that I work with which I think is pretty purely Lecoq based mm. and, and through the kind of lens of, of John Wright who was my mask and clown teacher um, and Ali, who was my neutral mask teacher. Um, neutral mask is one particular, very specific type of mask, uh, which is built off the noble mask, which is made by an Italian mask maker who, whose name is going to escape me very frustratingly, mm -hmm. uh, but who was a very close collaborator with Lecoq. Um, and he developed the, the neutral mask as a, as a training tool above all else. Mm. Um, the neutral mask has a very it's not devoid of expression. It's not like those sort of blank, white, plastic, tacky masks that you can get. Yeah. Um, there is still an expression there, uh, and it's sort of potentially lightly noble, but it's not uh, as in not, not as in aristocratic, but noble as in uh, uh, yes, noble. <laughs> noble. <laughs> um, I am above you. <laughs> not so much. I am above you, but more like <laughs> everything's okay where I am, <laughs> and. Um, and as a tool, mask in any form draws attention to what's going on in the body because the face becomes a fixed point. Mm. Um, with the neutral mask, because there is very little, little and limited expression in it, uh, it takes off that kind of layer of character or characterization that we can often obsess with as actors. Um, and with that, a level of kind of emotionality. You know, what is it I'm feeling? And what, what, what is the feeling of this moment? Um, and by doing that, the neutral mask allows you to focus on the clarity and purity of the action itself. So what is the essence of climbing a mountain physically? What is the essence of existing in a, in a space that's closing off as I delve deeper into the forest? Or what, what is the pure, uncolored or kind of characterized or emotionally laden action? <laughs> Um, and when am I doing too much physically and when am I not doing enough to communicate that? Um, so that's kind of what the neutral mask does. Uh, obviously, we've not been able to work with the masks themselves in the current circumstances. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Uh, but there's a whole other range of other masks. There are larval masks, which are 
uh, are quite strong and and uh, uh, um, they're quite how to describe a larval mass. There's there's few and specific uh, um, characterized aspects of it. Like there might be quite a particularly large nose, or they're, they're sort of not overly human, but they have human elements to them, and mm. they're kind of quite naive and. Uh, they convey quite sort of specific, strong aspects of potential character or expression. Um, and then you also have more specifically character-led masks uh, where the face becomes a bit more human, but still thick. Uh, and with those, you're looking at both how can you find the physicality of that expression or, or the character that that mask suggests, but also how can you, through your body, change and uh, uh, develop that sort of mask expression. Like how can you make the mask it's always smiling also feel like it's crying um, through your body uh, and sort of in tandem with that. I, I don't know if maybe this is what you're referring to with anti-mask, but uh, there's this idea of the counter mask where you play the opposite of what is sort of on, on face value. Mm. So again, if you have that sort of happy smiley mask and you're playing the counter mask of it, then you're, you're physically and in the context that you're setting up trying to explore the, perhaps the tragedy or something that is in opposition to it. Um, or I, I think I spoke in one of our classes a little bit about one tool Lecoq proposes is to describe your character in a normal place or a situation with three different adjectives. Uh, and then to choose the opposite of those adjectives as well. So my character is wise, but idiotic and warm hearted, but uh, blunt, uh, whatever juxtapositions you might find are useful. Um, and by finding those, those counterpoints or aspects of countermass, you create a more whole and three-dimensional being because we are all, all those things. We can all be happy and tragic and happy in our tragedy and sad in our happiness and, yeah. The human condition is never one thing, it's everything in between. <laughs> um, so that gives you a, a scale to play across rather than just one single idea, which is also more interesting to watch because as an audience, when you go, ah, I see the idea you're presenting me, great. Then what? <laughs> I've got it now. Oh, I'm just sitting here for three hours whilst you continue to tell me that Hamlet is whatever. Like, I need more than that. <laughs> Otherwise, you're wasting three hours of my life. Yeah. Um, and of course, humans, we're never stuck in one thing. We move all the time. Mm. Yeah, I, can, I, I can't imagine what it'd be like to sit through Hamlet for, and he's showing one emotion the whole way through rather than having that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, be other, if it was like grief stricken for the whole time, oh God. No. Just brooding constantly. Oh. God, that'd be a nightmare. Of course, I think it's already a challenge for an actor playing the Hamlet to find that diversity in that. And I think, you know, with the Cox teachings, I think that would be a really good way of, of finding that. You know, I've said to use the word diversity before, but the, but that, uh, what's, what's another way of saying it? Like uh, stretch, so show your whole palette of emotions and what you can bring to the table, like the full picture of who this man is, as opposed to just... Yes, he broods a lot. Yes, he's grief-stricken. Yes, he's sadness. But he also finds that method in his madness. And we get that sort of fun aspect from him as well, from his antique disposition, I think it's called. So, Yes, exactly. 
Yeah. I think it was um, Simon Callow in in his book, Being an Actor, mm. who talks about one principle that he sometimes employs is to, you, in, the, in the very first scene or the very first entrance with a character, you can land their sort of initial, uh, what, the, the most obvious thing that you would think about that character, Coriolanus's strength uh, as a military leader. You come in, bam, there it is. Mm. And then the rest of the play, you don't go back to that. You explore every other aspect you can in juxtaposition to that. Yeah. Um, which is, I guess, one way of doing it. That doesn't have to be one way to do that. Oh, massively. Yeah, that, that, that's really helpful to actually hear that, to actually hear that as well, you know, because yes, you start with one thing, but then it's like, okay, you start at base camp, which is like this warrior of Coriolanus, and then you go up the mountain and you realize he's not he's not like that all the time is he there's there's he has vulnerabilities he has uh weaknesses you know he has a very strong dedication to his mother and it's like there's so much to it and it's incredible um, um i remember on mass as well i've just uh, there's also within that same world of practice there are half masks which are when you have half the face covered and your mouth is usually the part that's revealed so there you're sort of starting to navigate between uh, still playing in your body but having more expression on your face mm. and those masks can be very quite specific and very closely related to those of commedia dell'arte uh, uh, masks where you have specific characters associated with a specific mask mm. so yeah that you sort of explore those different levels of character and characterization uh, but you start from that place of the neutral mask of what is the story in the body because again, as actors, we get sucked into playing the obvious thing on our face. Uh, <laughs> we want to be understood. We want people to know that we're felt or feeling. Mm. Emotions kept in the body as, as well as the mind, isn't it? But um, do you remember that um, exercise we did with the Shakespeare text, again, with the two guys who often did Romeo and, Romeo and Juliet? Uh, it was, I think I wrote, I wrote something down here. You gave us like a briefing of at the end of half term. It's something to do with tension. It was like, it was like the tension in between the character. I think you've already mentioned it before, but there's, uh, I think you said to both of them, like to start doing a scene, but just find the physical parallels, the physical uh, boundaries in between the two of you and find the, tension in this space Where is it? i did write i did write it down i was i was listening to you <laughs> but, but uh tension in the space sounds about right yeah so bodies uh bodies articulacy becomes less when identifying a fixed point playing with rhythm of impulses uh space our relationship to it push or pull towards away from people emphasize uh I can't read my own writing, accentuation, that's not even a word, of the working opposition dynamic being pushed and pulled. So, yeah, so, yeah, there's an exercise of, of Juliet trying to get away from Romeo, but Romeo was pushing towards her, and yet there was this lovely tension in the space of, of wanting to go somewhere and not wanting and another person pushing him away. So was that was that something that Lecoq wanted to envision, wanted to engage with as well as the tension in the space and the physical dynamics of something which you can't see, but do exist in between two people. Very much. And uh, push-pull is one of, the, one of the aspects that Lecoq talks about as a dynamic of, of space in particular. Mm. Um, and space is very important uh, in, in Lecoq's work, 
partly because just as we read the story of an individual through the shape of their body as much as anything, we also read the shape, the story of a space through, well, through what the space is physically and how that is defined. Um, and you can create a sense of space physically based on how you would respond to that space again. Mm. Small space, what does that do to me physically? Um, but another big part of space is the people in the space and the things in the space and what happens in between them. And um, saying, I love you as you step towards somebody is very different from saying, I love you as you step away from someone. Mm. Those things could mean all sorts of different things, but they are different. And uh, um, even if you speak it in exactly the same tone or the same uh, kind of manner of speech, uh, the meaning changes because the space and relationship to space is different. Um, with that exercise, rather than sort of specifically saying, you're going to push her away at this point and then you're going to do that, um, that is again a kind of etude which allows the actors to explore the dynamics that's going on between the characters or what the dynamics might be. Again, it doesn't have to be, it might be that it's wrong or you go only this bit was useful and the rest isn't useful. Mm -hmm. uh, but those two characters can move towards each other or away from each other. They have, in one version of the exercise, you have to keep a fixed space. So it has to be three meters or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, and in another version, there's no restriction of how much distance is between you, but you have to be listening and responding to uh, with a sort of focus on that relationship in space and the tension between you in space. And, uh, It gives you a lot of different possibilities because in, in that scene, the balcony scene, there's um, you can use that as a, as a way to, as a kind of physical analogy of the game that Romeo and Juliet are playing, which is something in between flirting and seducing. And also is everything gonna be okay because we're dealing with this crazy political situation in which our parents hate each other and the world might kill us. Um, so there's sort of a lot to navigate in, in yeah. their circumstances. Um, yeah. Uh, and also it can be useful as a way of starting to stage a scene and you can work that again in opposition or alongside the text on the same sort of level. Um, what have I missed out? Tell me what I missed out. It sounds like a tricky game between Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's no, no, that's, there's, a, there's yeah. a mixture, right? There's that very. It's very physical. That falling in love is a physical thing as well. And there's that that literal pull that we we use words like being pulled towards somebody or or the magnetic attraction. Like there's that pull of coming together. But in that scene, there's also the absolute physical reality that one of them's on a balcony, one of them isn't, mm. and uh, um, they can't come together because if they're caught together, then well, Romeo is probably going to get killed. Um, and so there's there's literal physical uh, and uh, non-literal dynamics going on in between them already. Uh, but there's also that very real pull. <laughs> um, and do they want to act on that? Do they not want to act on that? And that exercise gives the actors uh, a very specific focus frame and language with which to kind of try and navigate those dynamics with, I really want to come towards you, but I can't. So I make the choice to step away from you. Mm. Now I've stepped away from you, I can feel that I really do want to come back towards you, but now you're coming towards me too quickly and we have to slow down. And, um, mm. It allows you to explore all those kind of dynamics without doing that intellectualization. It's physical, it's in the body, it's yeah. there.
Yeah, and I think that Shakespeare gives you that as well, doesn't he? You know, in that scene, especially so, um, when Romeo says, I take thee at thy word, and Juliet goes, oh, go away. And it's like, and it's like who is this? Well, not go away, but it's like, <laughs> like, what's going on? And it's like, it's like, I want to be with you. Oh, no, go away. And then suddenly you get this tension there. It's like, oh, okay, what's, what's happening here? Is Are they in love or are they trying to get away from each other? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, the, but then that blossoms into this lovely... It, it, into the into the love story which which it becomes and it's 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 fascinating um, and again, it's, it's like with the counter mask exercise in a way of it gives you again a polarity a, a spectrum or, or a scale to play along like mm. they're not just in love they're not just being pulled towards each other there's that there is that push and pull between them of uh, uh, can we be together do we want to be together should we be together should we not be together leave me alone uh, <laughs> you should go for your own safety um yeah yes think think of your safety i'm pushing you away <laughs> exactly oh that's fascinating um so yeah that so we, you you also talked about earlier um about the specifics of of lecoq like when when you see like when you as you said when you're climbing a mountain you know you find this you find the specifics in the way that you move or and everything like that because one one thing that i've really enjoyed in our classes is that is the imaginative journeys that you've that you've taken us on and you use your imagination to find this specific yeah, the specificity in the movement so i think we started off in and i know we've come to mountain but i think we started off in oh god what did we start we, it was it was the episode we went to a river we went up a mountain and then we came down the mountain and then we ended up in the desert and then we fell asleep in the desert. That was the end. Uh, so the the fundamental it. journey. You start in the sea, you end up on a beach, yes. you move yes. through a forest, you climb a mountain, you reach the summit, you descend the mountain, you cross the river, you end up, yeah. In the, in the yeah, that one, yeah. And uh, obviously that, that helps really engage with encouraging, encouraging this, the specifics of, of mime. And to really find the find the elements and see see them and visualize them and feel them and even smell them in a way. Um, so I get was that so the the imagination complex of of that is that something that Cock is well, well I think on the surface Cock is I suppose it's a bit of an obvious question really but he's looking for that the imaginative engagement at hundred and ten percent. And then that's when you find, like, you, you know, you, another exercise we did was you have a desk in front of you and, like, you picture the... Obviously, it's easier for me now because I have a literal desk in front of me. But uh, but it's good to find the... OK, so remember, like, the weight of it. Remember, like, OK, so we've got a notepad there in the corner. We've got a microphone here. We've got some bizarre dolphin in the corner. So I don't know where that came from. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But it's finding the, I suppose the the, imagine, the imagination is also like one of the foundations of a cock. Obviously, it's not just movement, but it's actually finding that experience. You see that mountain, you see the river, you see your desk in front of you, which which enables you to to get to where you want to go and get fully engaged with the work. Is that right? Yeah, I think there's again, as with any of these sort of etudes again there's a lot of different lenses that you might apply to it mm. so definitely on one level there's the imaginative rigor and the level of imaginative immersion that acting like demands 
in a, in a lot of ways, even if that's in a very kind of banal circumstance where you just have to pretend that there isn't a camera this close to your eye yeah. um, and still communicate uh, uh, and perform your action as if that wasn't the case. Um, or that you love your co-worker and actually you, on a personal level, you don't get on very well, <laughs> um, <laughs> or vice versa, uh, or whatever it might be. As actors, even on a very sort of pedestrian level, our work is rooted in imagination. Mm. And then when we're trying to create a sense of space and worlds that aren't in the black box in which we're playing, then that imaginative rigor has to be so much more. And to create the level of detail consistently of, I have no props, I'm going to create for you the sense of my, of my bedroom or of uh, Ro uh, Romeo's uh, experience standing outside underneath Juliet's balcony. Like, where is the balcony? <laughs> I have to know exactly where it is to see it for the audience to, through me, see where I see it. Mm. Um, and uh, and if that changes without that being a conscious choice or without that being uh, theatrically useful, then the audience are gonna be like, well, what's he looking at? I don't know, I don't understand where the balcony is, if it's very high, if Juliet lives on the first floor or at the top of a tower, it's a bit <laughs> all over the place. I don't yeah. really understand. Yeah. Um, so there's that level of imaginative rigor. Um, there's also a big aspect of Lecoq's work of finding inspiration in the natural world. Yeah. Uh, as humans, we've evolved in relation to the natural world. And these days, obviously, we live in, in some big, tall urban buildings and urban centers a lot of the time, but we have a very uh, embodied knowledge of mm. the world around us. A lot of our language refers to uh, um, physical acts and natural acts you feel your heart dropping into your stomach for example or you might describe someone as a bit of a mouse or uh, um, they spoke with a tidal wave force or uh, um, whatever it might be there were much better analogies than that um, but we all we often look to kind of metaphor uh, to describe our experience in life anyway and we do that in relation to to the, the natural world um, and again, that can be a useful way to, to escape a, a kind of fixation on logic and reason that diminishes the possibility we have or gets us fixated on one idea. And then we try to perform just that single idea. Mm. Um, and then again, we're in a one dimensional kind of plane of character and human experience rather than the full uh, uh, multifaceted aspect of it. But because we have that metaphorical relationship to the natural world, uh, um, we can draw inspiration from that for building character or building a story or building a scene. Um, we do that anyway as, mm. as human beings. So it's just kind of explicitly built into Lecoq's practice. Um, and then like you say, with the, the fundamental journey is, is a kind of, in the place of Lecoq's pedagogy, quite a well, fundamental point. It's like a culminating point of the physical and, and technical rigor of like you say, how do I, that sort of, uh, um, the mime aspect of, figurative mime aspect of what, what is the, the size of this trunk that I'm moving around and what is the resistance I need in my body to actually perform that action? Again, the essence of moving myself around or lifting this branch up as opposed to this little light branch that just gets mm. in my face. Um, so there's the physical rigor, there's the imaginative immersion. There's also in the fundamental journey, a sort of a sense of dramaturgy you have those fixed points along that journey 
Um, there's the relationship to space. Again, what physically is different when I'm moving along an expansive beach as opposed to standing at the top of a huge mountain. Uh, there's, a, there's another version of it as well, <laughs> uh, which maybe we'll get to in the future, called, which I personally call the fucking mental journey, but I, that's not an official terminology. Um, yeah, that's really interesting, though. Well, what, what is this fucking mental journey? <laughs> <laughs> it's the same same dramaturgy, but yeah. the stakes in each location are much higher. So right. the sea is a tempest. The forest is on fire. When you're descending a mountain, it's an avalanche. The mm. river is a torrential flood. And the challenge, in, so the, the first version of the fundamental journey is, is, again, focusing on the essence of action as you traverse these different spaces. Not character, not emotion. There's no kind of joy in reaching the summit. I just reach the summit and that is what it is. That is what, like for the neutral mass, there's no conflict. There's no sense of the past or the future. It's pure present with the action in as clean and pure a way as possible. Yeah. Um, and that challenge is heightened so much more when you try the extreme version yeah. of that, because you still have to focus on the, the essence of the action um, but because the the circumstances are so much uh, more intense, it really reveals when we as actors overperform <laughs> or get stuck in like, I have to feel terrible because I've been tossed around by this tempest. Mm. For the neutral mass, that doesn't matter. They've gone, they've come through the tempest still. And your job is to focus just on the, again, the essence of that, mm. of, of the action. Um, and again, it also clearly demonstrates when you're not doing enough and when you're a bit timid in your choices or uh, uh, unfulfilling the, the physical reality of being tossed violently in the storm. Wow. I, I look forward to doing that fucking <laughs> at some point. <laughs> being swept on my tips. I thought you were going to say being chased by a bear in the forest or something like that, but the forest is on fire, which I suppose is equally as, each equally as scary, I suppose, but then again. Yeah. But again, it's not scary for the mask. The mask just has to has to deal with the situation. Interesting. The, the mask has no. Well, it does have a. It does have a. It does have emotion in a way, but it but it knows how to deal with the situation. Like it has emotion, but it doesn't need. But doesn't show it. That... There's no. It's more that there's no conflict for the mask. It's just completely in the present moment. The present moment is there's a fire around me. Mm. Um, it's not about the future of I might be consumed by the fire. It's yeah. just, there's a fire around me. That's it. <laughs> this is just the reaction. So that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, just very well, I'm just looking at some of the notes here, actually. Um, that sort of a lovely lead on to, you, you talked about uh, presence and finding your, and actually this is quite a good lead on actually, finding your peace in the moment as well. It's like, you know, there is a fire around me yet there is, there is a sort of peace as well because you know you're going to get out of it. We're not, mm. going, to get, we're not going to get scared. We're not going to get over, you know, we're not going to get over dramatic about it, if you pardon the, pardon the expression. Uh, but there is a way of finding peace at the moment how, and how I can come into the moment and engage and listen to it in an embodied way. So would that be a good, would that be the neutral mask as well, Just performing things in an embodied way? Yeah, very much. I think all of Lecoq's work would focus on performing things in an embodied way. Uh, but the neutral mask allows you to focus on on the uh, uh, the purity of that or the, 
the essentialism of that. Mm. Um, and then on top of that, you can start to layer in changes of rhythm or aspects of characterization. Mm. Um, you can increase the drama if you like. Uh, but it's like it's we find that blank canvas of the action in its essential form and then you kind of compose around and on top of that mm. that's really interesting uh, yeah this has been awesome man so yeah I've just, just got a couple more questions before I think before we finish up today if I may um so one one's more like a I, 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 like, I like to call it a philosophical question but hopefully it does sound, at least sound like one but uh is there a with the Cox work, you know, with everything we talked about today, is there any is there any so far you can go with it? Do you think, or is there or is there an infinite ray of possibilities that movement can open up for the actor in the way that they perform? Or is there? I, any- mean, I think there's the only limit is the extent of the human condition. <laughs> yeah, because um, we are embodied creatures. We have a body, and we we live and experience the world through that. Um, and even our kind of consciousness is rooted very fundamentally into, into our body and our physical understanding of, of each other is rooted into, into our body. Mm. Um, sort of have a lot of interest in the kind of development of, of neuroscience and the cognitive sciences around uh, um, body, not that I would claim to be an expert in any way, um, but, uh, reading about mirror neurons and how that we learn to interpret other people's actions through mapping them into our own understanding of, of our physical body through these sort of mirror neurons. Mm. Um, so the limits of what we can do as actors through the body is the same as the limits that we have as human beings, I think. Mm. Um, which is maybe a bit pretentious, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> But like again, as with any practice or process, it's all aiming for the kind of exploration, communal exploration of the human condition. That's why we have theatre is to, we're fundamentally communal creatures in one way or another. We, we derive our sense of self based on the others in our tribe and in the world around us. Mm. Um, and I've been reading recently, The Body Keeps the Score, which is a fantastic and fascinating exploration of the body in trauma and in response to trauma mm. um, and and it shows very clearly how the sort of sense of self can be defined by your relationship to other people initially um why did i stop talking about the sense of self again because we were talking about the limits that's right the limits of working physically or in, in an embodied way um so I went off on a tangent however i think uh fundamentally there's no there's no limit with that um and lecoq proposes and provokes rather than again offering a this is what it must be um and even within each of those provocations is a whole huge world like we've been working on the elements a little this this term and uh, fire has a whole spectrum of what that might be and there's a whole infinite amount of of shade as to how we might use that as a metaphor for human behavior or human stories um and uh, so yeah, there's no limit. <laughs> I'd say if you're not focused on the body in some way, you don't relate to the body, then I don't know what that is. Even when you're doing radio work, yeah. the voice that is recorded comes out of your physical form. Um, and how, I don't know how that can be other. 
how else that could be really yeah that's fascinating uh you could you said something really interesting there it's like Lecoq teases and provokes rather than saying well I'm, I'm gonna probably get this wrong uh, teases and provokes rather than telling you that's how it should be and uh if you know I know you have a website you could put that on the top of your website and just at around the top to sort of be like I think that that sums it up really well actually you know you are provoked and you are teased but there's no specific way of doing it so that with that opens up to the freedom and everything of the room and yeah I think that'd be a nice little little quote to have on your website of course it makes you sort as well <laughs> I, keep that in mind. I think that's true of like uh, we have all these great practitioners and yeah. theatre directors and so on but all of them were engaged in the same set of questions yeah. of, of trying to unpick what is it that makes good performance uh, or interesting performance in the context in which we're alive um, and there's no even those the even practices that have quite a set process or we see as having a very set process like I mean Stanislavski is an obvious example and I love Stanislavski's body of work it's brilliant but his process and uh, both artistically and in training transformed massively over his lifetime mm. and in response to the knowledge he learned and the knowledge of the society around him the kind of cultural context and uh, um, I think we limit ourselves if we go, we have to only emulate that process rather than continuing to question it and come back into questioning it. So the process that does tease and provoke uh, um, allows you as an artist to answer, start asking and figuring those questions out for yourself um, and hopefully find better ways of doing things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, yeah, just, just one, last, one last question today, if I may. Um, is there a story that you have from your own personal experience of working on stage where you were approaching a part or approaching a specific moment and there was and there's a there's a roadblock in the way and you know there's something that's not quite work you don't know how to unpack it um, but you went to the, the work of Lecoq to try and figure it out and then it kind of and then that roadblock was removed and you, you were able to get through it in a way so is that so I suppose really was there a moment where or more moments in a way where Lecoq has helped you in the rehearsal room to get past obstacles in the way I mean pretty much every process every process yeah um, I think partly uh, uh, I often use animals or aspects of elements or, or or I just use a lot of that language in in every day in in rehearsal really so it's always doing that um I find animals can be very liberating for mm. building a character often because then you're not necessarily focused on trying to kind of understand what would the character do next because I don't fully know the character because there's quite a sparsely written play without very much history or backstory sort of sense. There's only so much I've gleaned. Um, but rhythmically in the text, I get the sense that they're a fox or a, a kestrel or whatever. And then I can play with that animal and see what that does instead and learn learn through that um if i'm going like i just can't understand what they did 20 years ago that makes them say this line um uh, uh or i find it very helpful when i have to encounter um emotionally laden events because often the tendency as an actor is to want to play the emotion or the emotional state which is just not really consciously possible really or something not very easy uh, consciously and it's easy to just impose and present an idea um, 
So instead of thinking, I have to cry at this point, I can focus on the, the physical sensation of collapse and drop. Um, well, there was, there was one particular example in a play I did uh, a couple of years ago, uh, and it was a, a remount of a production we, we'd done before, actually. And there was one moment that I'd never quite sort of found what the expression of, that, of the event was, but this uh, character uh, lost all of his money in a, in a catastrophic uh, kind of social event. Uh, this was set in the 19, uh, well, it was a 1933 Ukrainian play, um, technically set in sort of non, not specifically described uh, bit of time and place in Poland. Mm. Um, and my character lost all their money and their whole life dream had been about getting themselves out of poverty and out of, uh, 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 as, that character would describe it, the common muck um, to rise above and had dreams of having his daughter sort of marry a, a member of the aristocracy. And a big part of that was being able to buy out the factory that he worked for. And he'd saved and saved and saved and then everything crashed. And I hadn't quite figured that, what that moment was. <laughs> um, and in the second time we did that production, there was something about that event was given a lot more time on space as well to kind of for the impact of it to land. And it was taken out of a kind of naturalistic uh, uh, moment as well. So I could just have this really long, slow Suzuki-like walk across the stage in which coming from this sort of upright moment of almost victory to then the slow collapse. Yeah. Um, and the emotion came out of feeling the physical journey of collapse <laughs> uh, over a long and painful amount of time. Um, Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it was. It was uh, satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, in terms of like artistic, in the most artistic way possible, and find that collapse, your emotions on the outside, but inside you're going, it's working, it's working, it's working. <laughs> <laughs> it's working, yes, okay. Look, okay, sad, 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 yes, sad. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> That's a lovely parable, actually. Contrast is like happiness inside, but sadness on the outside. Quite interesting. Uh, the actor's dilemma. <laughs> actor's dilemma, yes. Brilliant. Wow. Well, this has been an amazing conversation to have with you. Thank you so much for your time today, Matt. I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's been so interesting to hear about the cock from a different perspective. And, you know, there are, I suppose everyone has different experience or different way of thinking about his work, but it's been really interesting to hear your side of it today. So thank you for that um and uh yeah sure so this is yeah well yeah this has been me right I've, I've lost talk i can't talk anymore now this is brilliant uh so yeah thank you guys for watching thank you for listening um matt if you just if you just stay on after i finish recording i'll say goodbye to you albeit well face to face but on the computer screen but anyway I'll say goodbye to you personally but yeah this has been the unsaid critic please like and subscribe and i'll be back soon and once once more matt thank you so much <laughs>